Hello and welcome to the Mindful Men podcast, the show helping men to open up about manhood. My name is Simon Rennie and my aim is to get men talking. From mental health to fatherhood and everything in between, Mindful Men creates a safe space for conversation. Now, before we get into this episode, I want to say a huge thank you for joining me. It means a world for you to join me and talk about men's issues. And if you love what you hear, please subscribe and share the episode with your mates. You can also join the conversation on Instagram and YouTube, and I'd love to connect with you there. But for now, sit back, relax, and let's get mindful. G'day guys, and welcome to another episode of the Mindful Men podcast. My name is Simon Rennie, and I'm the man behind Mindful Men. I'm really excited today. I've got Anthony Simons from Fit and Well down in Adelaide, South Australia. How are you going, Anthony? Yeah, good, good. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Thanks for joining me on a Saturday morning. Um, appreciate it. It's a bit earlier down there than it is up here, so it's good to see you. Mindful Men podcast is a show all about opening up conversations for, for boys and men and the broader community as well. And I know you've got a social work background and a sports background and you're doing this work through Fit in the World. So I'm really keen to explore all those things today and, and hear your story about working in the mental health space, um, your story of working with clients as well. But before we get into that, yeah, let's hear a bit about your backstory about, you know, growing up and, and how you came to be where you are today. Yeah, um, I, was, I was very lucky growing up. I, I came from a very, um, very privileged background, a very loving, caring family. Um, living in Adelaide all my life, which has been really, really good. And um, I've had a lot of opportunities. Um, my, my family gave me a, a good education and um, exposed me a lot to sports, which is where everything starts for me, basically. So I've been doing sports since about year two at school. Um, went through all the ranges of sports, um, played football and, um, and cricket and t-ball and pretty much anything I could get my hands on just to give it a go. Um, I always found myself gravitating towards more unique sports, different sports. So I played Gaelic for a while. I played um, squash for a while. Um, and I always found myself liking different sports. But that also um, led me to, in, as an early teenager, to be to try pole vaulting, uh, which is my sport of choice and, and is still something that's very close to my heart. I came to that through the fact that my father did it. And I grew up running around athletics track from... I think about two days old, basically, I was at athletics tracks running around and, and doing stuff. So I was always at um, athletics tracks and I even still take my daughter out when I do coaching. Um, I think athletics tracks are amazing because there's so many things. They've got sand, they've got bags to jump on, they've got ropes to swing on. And really, when I look at it, it was a, it was a really fun childhood. Um, so I was around athletics from a very young age. and um, But when I was 13... Um, I began to become a bit more um, physically developed and we thought pole vaulting was going to be the go. And from the age of 13, I just sunk hours into it. I really loved it. It became a safe place for me. It became a outlet of energy for me. It became a part of my everyday routine. And along with that came other aspects. So, you know, at 15, 16, I started playing around in the gym to try and get a bit stronger, to be better at pole vaulting. Um, I did gymnastics connected to pole vaulting as well. So um, it also allowed me to just develop 
in hindsight, really positive coping mechanisms and positive well-being techniques into my life, which I look back on now and I look back on in my work at Fit and Well. And I think really that's where everything started for me is I, I realised the power of sport and the power of um, having an outlet, having a safe place where school was going wrong for me. I was never the best at school. I was okay, but um, I wasn't engaged in school, but I always had a place to go. I always had a community to go to. Um, and the people out there were genuinely caring and kind people. It also connected me with my father in ways that I would suggest as an adult, maybe we wouldn't have the relationship we have now if I didn't do pole vaulting. Um, the, drives, the drive home in the car uh, after vaulting where we would talk, it just offered me such an amazing um, space for my well-being to develop. And I look back on that now and realise it, but at the time I didn't realise that was what was happening to me. I was, um, I was just enjoying my sport and loving doing what I was doing kind of thing. I was relatively successful as a vaulter. I won underage medals at nationals for several years in a row. Um, and I was vaulting until recently. I only stopped a year ago. And um, it was, I started my social work degree at the same time. And yeah, sport, athletics and, and vaulting, pole vaulting was always a part of my life. And it's something that um, really influenced me heavily into where we're going now, which is into that fit and well story. Yeah. And you mentioned like sport was an outlet for you to cope when you were young. Were you finding difficulties at school in terms of your emotional well-being? No, I, I don't think I went through anything other than normal teenagers go through. Like, I wasn't ever hugely challenged by my mental health, but I went through normal things that teenagers went through. Um, I, I kind of had a little bit of a sense of being out of place and a little bit of sense of lost in the world through those years, but... Um, vaulting always and sport always was a place where I could safely feel comfortable within my own shoes and um, the the squad that I vault with in South Australia we had people from um, you know 20 25 all the way down to 14 and so there was always people to connect with there was also role models around us um, it's a very very safe group to be in and they just always managed to take my mind off whatever whatever was going on in in my time so as far as my own well-being I, I don't think I ever had any extreme struggles with well-being but I always liked the fact that if school was hard I had somewhere to go if I was particularly um, having a rough patch just due to life I had somewhere to go um, it really was a safe place for me to go and it was a place where I could be successful and I think that's the key thing gave me a place where I was like I'm good at something and that gave me validity and made me feel positive about where I was going in my life it gave me something that like you may not be good at maths but you're good at this and that that's always something that's very powerful because if you have a little bit of sense of success it makes you feel okay about the world around you that definitely applies to me yeah and and growing up so you got into vaulting because your dad was a vaulter as well um yeah. did he provide you coaching or did you have a separate coach no, he provided me coaching. And I think, in, again, as I look back in hindsight, that was a gift and a curse as well. Uh, I think at times I struggled to define the relationship between a father and a coach. And um, I think I sometimes spoke to him like a father instead of like a coach. But having said that, I wouldn't have changed that for the world um, because I think, as I said, um, it brought me closer to my father. It connected me closer with him. Um, and it 
gave us um, a very a very special um, bond that I still treasure today and that we still treasure today because it's something that um, it's rare that I think it's rare that um, a father and a son or any family members get to bond over a passion that they both share so intensely yeah. and it was something that we shared intensely it was first of all as a, as a um as a bolter but even now as I do a bit of coaching it's a bond that we share intensely and it's a sharing of knowledge not just about the sport but I'll regularly go to my father and ask him oh I'm struggling with this coaching method can you help me out or like, I'm struggling to communicate what I need to communicate to this athlete can you help me out so it goes beyond just an instructional thing he's actually um greatly helped me with my coaching and greatly helped me with um other aspects of my world which has definitely played across into into my work in in um, social work because learning to coach is a craft and he's been doing it for 30 odd years so he knows how to coach and he knows what to say and he knows when to say it and he knows how much to say and I'm still learning that craft I'm still developing that craft so having him as a coach has also helped me a lot it's a great story. I love that connection that you've built over the years. And even though you didn't realise it when you were younger, but you're realising it more as an adult with your, with your dad. I mean, I grew up on an athletics field as well and footy fields and, and the soccer and basketball. And, and you see those two different types of parents there, the parents that are really involved. Um, they're really warming and welcoming and willing to give their, you know, their knowledge onto the, the kids when they're playing. But then there's also some that go too hard. So it's great to hear that you had a quite a positive um, relationship with your dad on the field. And the best thing I think also about it is he knew what I needed at any given point. Um, and that, again, is in hindsight something that I would struggle with. I think a lot of people would. Um, he knew when to empathise with me and be disappointed with me as a, as a father to a son. You know, when I was disappointed with a result where I was upset, he would let that be and he wouldn't come as a coach and be like, well, this is what we're going to do next. He was able to fave really well between I need to be there for my son who's disappointed, who's upset, who, who is looking for a father to put his hand on his shoulder and say it's okay. Mm -hmm. But then also he knew when to kind of push that button and say, as a coach, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. Um, again, something I probably didn't appreciate at the time, but I imagine would be really, really hard because being able to chop and change out of that mode would have been really challenging. Um, and I would struggle to do it, but he always knew and was able to deliver what I needed at any given point, um, whether it be a dad or a coach. And he was really good at doing that. And at no point, I don't think that I ever feel like he was trying to be a coach when I needed a dad. He was always able to pick up what I needed at any given point. Um, and I imagine that could be really challenging um, if I was coaching my own daughter. I imagine that would be really challenging to do, to be able to pick what the message I need to send to my child at any given point. Yeah. And you mentioned that you were quite successful at vaulting and you won a few titles. And then you also mentioned going to social work. Um, mm. So where did social work come into things for you? Like, why did you go down the social work side or and rather than maybe sticking just with vaulting, a lot of professional athletes or semi-professional athletes stick with the sport? Um, and worry about careers afterwards, but you seem to have blended the two. Um, how did social work come about? Um, I can't tell you why, but since about year 10, I knew I wanted to be a social worker. Um, and that's probably part of the reason why I was best at school is because I knew what I wanted to do and I knew how I wanted to get there. Um, and 
social work for me and working with young people was just always a passion I had. I was really fortunate enough to work with some amazing young role models and amazing social workers in various capacities as a volunteer um, through, um, I worked at Hallett Cove Youth Centre for a while and I worked at a number of places and um, I just really got shown the meaningful relationships and powerful difference that social workers can make in people's lives and I just quickly decided that's where I wanted to be. Um, and I remember sitting down in my first lecture and I always say this to students that I work with and clients I work with now, um, I kind of say as soon as the lecturer started speaking I knew I was in the right place and I knew I was in the right field. I think their first sentence was about how diverse social work can be and how um, it can be so different things from community development to one-on-one -on -one social work to child protection. And as soon as I sat down, I never doubted that I was in the right place. Um, and again, I think that's the fortunate thing. I think um, that story is rare. I think more, more people really do struggle with their career pathways these days. So I was very fortunate in saying I knew what I wanted to do very early on and I knew where I was going very quickly and I was happy where I was going very quickly. So I was able to put a lot of energy into it. Um, and it's one thing that we've always taught in our athletic squad is you need to have a balance between life and, and sport. And um, it's something we say to all athletes and it doesn't matter where they are. Um, my father's coached Olympians, he's coached Commonwealth Games champions. Um, you know, I coach athletes as well. And we always say you need balance. You can't just do sport because otherwise it becomes, you can become so obsessed and your world is only focused on one result. And if your world is only focused in one place and it's not going well, it can bring, it can really challenge you mentally. So um, we've always been taught in our squad that it's healthy to have other pursuits, study, work, things like that, because that balance is really important in breeding success. So if pole vaulting isn't going well, you might be going well at university and there's your little bit of pep and reliance that you can get through. And if your um, vaulting's going re really well, but uni's not, you can still lie back on vaulting. So um, it's something that even at the elite level, we always say it's good to have something else to do um, because if you don't, um, it can kind of consume you a little bit. Yeah. And you mentioned like when you, you had that first lecture and as soon as they started talking, you knew that's where you wanted to be. Did you pursue a certain type of field in social work, like working mm. specifically with youth or mental mm. health or what? where were you kind of leaning towards? I always worked with young people and that's always been my strength. Um, I think it's just because that's always the place that I found myself. I worked with, um, while I was studying, I did several different roles, one with a Cove Youth, like I said, and I worked there and, um, and I worked with, um, marrying youth as a peer educator for a while and that's with young people going to schools and doing workshops and I also worked with um at the back end of the university I started doing residential care work or emergency care work um, and I've always found a stronger connection with young people particularly teenagers uh, I find they're, uh, they're the most dynamic um, fun group to work with and I still love it today um, I find them wonderfully engaging and um i definitely say that i learn as much from them as they mm. they learn from me um so even today in sessions um when i'm working in well i'll be chatting away with them and they'll be teaching me stuff and giving me new perspectives on things that i've never thought about and so i hugely appreciate um that youth and just how um fun and energetic they are to work with so 
I found myself in the youth area and I kind of have never left. I've always said that if I began to get feel a bit too old, I would move on, but I'm not there yet. So that's good. <laughs> Uh, and how does that like come across into parenting and, and mm. got your experience as a volter and a coach and then the, the social work side of you and at what point do you does it all merge and then what point do you just need to be dad it's, it's interesting because actually um our, our little girl zoe has some um additional needs and one of them is about um uh, her physical ability so she was diagnosed with hypertonia about two years ago now mm. one year ago now um, which is a, uh, a challenge for her because she has low muscle tone. So she's been late with her walking. And part of her challenge is actually um, we have to get her physically moving a lot. And um, she's doing very well now, but, you know, um, climbing and moving and, and, and um, moving, walking on different surfaces and stuff is, is really good for her. So to a degree, there's a, there's, there's a bit of a perfect perfect storm there because you know I set up little obstacle courses for Zoe so she climbs over and things like that and I look at all the movements I know about and all the stuff I've coached and so there's kind of a nice little relationship there which which is actually I'm able to enjoy my relationship with my daughter and also use some of the knowledge I have but also um, I do uh, I do very much appreciate and love just sitting with her she is always very much my um my reason to slow down, which it yeah. wasn't meant to be hard. Um, and so um, I, just sitting and reading with her and being a dad is something that I, I'm privileged and very excited to be, but also something that I am really grateful for because she's just learned to walk. And my, um, one of the things we always talk about is mindfulness, and I'm sure you've talked about mindfulness and know all about it. There's nothing more mindful when you're holding a little girl's hand and you have to walk it about. 0.5 of a k an hour so slowly because that's how fast they can walk but you really get to take in the world when you're just slowly walking with her and that's what I do a lot is I'll hold her hand and we'll walk together and you have to slow down and you have to take in the world around you so she's been a, a blessing for my well-being as well so that's really yeah, lovely I really like that I've got a two-year-old daughter at the moment and she's she's walking but yeah not as fast as her five-year-old brother who's <laughs> <been> running <laughs> and um, so one parent's way out front one parent way back but it's kind of like you see the world from their eyes when you're walking at their pace and or sitting down reading and, and it's it's a wonderful feeling as a dad to to experience that um, oh it's huge yeah yeah because often like our, our minds are racing until what's going on in, in the evening or tomorrow or what's happening at work so it's just nice to to slow things down and see it through their eyes um it's fantastic yeah and it makes you appreciate those things like when she's looking up at the world and we're walking in the shopping center and she'll suddenly look up and you look up with her just wondering what she's looking at and you look at the world from their perspective and you're like well i've never never noticed yeah that feeling never noticed that window up there i've never noticed stuff so um yeah it's something to something i think is so wonderful and i think it's such a fleeting time you've only got it for two or three years before yeah. they um, become more of their focus as well, going to school and stuff like that. So it's a it's a really fun time to be to be yeah. a dad. Yeah. So tell us about fit and well. So how did this come about for you? Yeah. So it's it's a really um, interesting story because it is exactly as you've kind of mentioned. It's this gelling and this um, clash of worlds coming together. So um, probably in my last year of university when we were finalizing um finalizing a few things i was still working at marine youth and um i was exposed 
to acceptance and commitment therapy for the first time through a program that we're running and that we were going to do a workshop for. And at, at the time in my vaulting, I'd reached, kind of reached this plateau and I was, wasn't performing as well as I could. And I was still training really hard and working really hard. And I was wondering, what do I need to do to, um, to get better at what I do, um, to get more hyped and stuff like that? And when they were talking at, um, at Marion Youth and when we were doing those programs, I found out that um, you know, acceptance and commitment therapy had lots of stuff about um, mindfulness, meditation, um, you know, um, being really present um, in the moment where you are at that moment and using lots of techniques to, to really center yourself in that moment. And that's something that I really struggled with in vaulting. So I kind of thought, well, this is something that maybe I could try before I jump. I could try mindfulness, I should, could try beginning to, um, beginning to meditate and beginning to use um, different techniques to kind of center myself and not let the anxiety that I was feeling or the performance anxiety come across. So, what I found is there began to be connections made between social work and, and volunteering. So um, at that time, I was also coaching a bit, just beginning to coach a bit. And obviously I had a lot of young athletes and I was finding myself again, beginning to employ all these different techniques that I'd learned in social work. So um, using that mindfulness to calm anxiety for athletes, um, you know, asking them to be centered, focused, um, uh, do, using little strategies, meditative strategies to get them focused. So. That was really the seeds of fit and well when I look back on it because that was the first time I, I said, well, there's all this stuff that we're doing in social work that actually we do that I could use in vaulting to get better. So there's, there's all these things coming together. And as I went further and further along, um, I kind of found it crossed over more and more and more and more. I went to a few high-level coaching um, courses up at, in the AIS and they were talking about... Um, lots of stuff around um, grounding techniques and anchoring techniques and I said well, in my head I was sitting there going like but that's that's acceptance and commitment therapy or that's cognitive behavior therapy that's what we do every day when I'm sitting with clients like well, yeah. what's happening here so I was finding all these little things coming across um, at the same time I've always um, linking back to the start of the story I was also always an advocate for the benefits of fitness and mental health and so all these things melded together and I kind of thought, well, I've got a, a unique perspective and the unique perspective I have is I have a social work background having at that, when I started fitting well and I'd counseled, I've been still counselor for a, a 10 years. I had kind of grounded myself reasonably well in that space. And I had also coached for about 10 years and vaulted for nearly 20. So at that point I kind of said, well, let's actually formally bring these two things together. And that's where kind of fitting well started. Um, having this being a brand new concept and fit and well hasn't been it's the first time fit and well is all the exercise based therapy as we call it has come to Australia and, and potentially in the world to be a world first as far as we know um, we didn't have anything to base it off but basically where it started was this idea about how can we meld these techniques strategies that you use in elite um, sport and high level sport and um, mental health stuff together in one space um yeah um so that's where it all began really and what did day one of fit and well look like did you have like a space that you did it at did you do it at a park like how does it look um yeah so we 
luckily during COVID, we started setting up a little gym just to get the world started because we obviously gyms were closed then. So we had some equipment just beginning to roll in then. Um, so we started very basic um, fitness and, 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 um, and gym workouts are a staple of our family. My wife goes to the gym at least every day, sometimes twice a day. Um, I go to the gym two to three or even four times a week. So we, we already had the stuff kind of thing and it just kind of evolved from there. And um, the other thing we wanted to come from the angle of is, and we say this all the time with our clients is, um, we wanted to offer a service to clients who may not fit into traditional services. Mm-hmm. So through my school experiences and through working across a few campuses at school, I saw that there was a group of kids who needed help, who wanted help, who couldn't sit in a room and chat to you. That just wasn't their gig. It wasn't what they were about. Um, they were a person who you could walk next to, you could go and play basketball with, and they would love that and they would chat and open up. But if you sat them down in a room across from each other and said, let's talk about your problems, they were just not comfortable and not okay and you couldn't get anywhere. So the other thing that came from when we started Fit and Well was creating an environment which was less formal than a counselling environment and more about saying like it's those incidental conversations it's those chats between sets and things like that that actually um creates that openness for discussions and that openness to talk about mental health so um it's quite a um dense concept because lots is happening in a room when it doesn't look like much is going on but there's lots (laughs) happening in the space Definitely. And so do you have the traditional counselling rooms at, at Fit and Well or is it just like a gym environment? Yeah, it's literally just the gym. And we, one thing we often get asked is, oh, what's the session like? And we say we can't tell you that because we don't know. And that's actually the truth. Um, I've had clients rock up and say, no talking, we're just working out. And I'll just work out with them. And we'll still chat a little bit incident in between our sets and just chat away, but not, not um, on any real dense level. And then there's some clients that come in and say, no working out, we'll just chat. And every session is very different from client to client, from um, from session to session, everything is different. But the main thing is that the client gets what they need from it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, the power of, the power of um, fit well and the power of exercise-based counselling is that some clients just need to move for an hour. That's actually as beneficial as sitting down and talking for an hour. Yep. Just being around for an hour doing four exercises, three exercises is really beneficial for them and they walk out feeling really good about themselves as much as if we sat down and talked for an hour. So um, there isn't a typical kind of like setup. It all happens out of a gym, but it all just depends on where we are on that day um, and what's happening on that day. And um, I remember sessions where I've sat with a client for an hour just watched the sunset. They were sitting on a plyo box. I was sitting on a bench press um, bench and just chatted away, and it was as therapeutic. And then sometimes I've had sessions where, you know, a client's rocked up, um, fiery, a bit angry, has worked out intensely for an hour and left. And you can tell that's really been good for them, and yeah. they've walked out feeling better than when they walked in. Yeah. And is it just one to one, or do you do group sessions as well? It's just one-to-one um, and um, we thought about group sessions and so that's something we would explore, but it's right now it's one-to-one because I find that um, that's where the best quality time is had and that's where it's most effective. Um, and it allows me to focus on um, each client because there's two kind of things going on. There's first of all, I need to be conscious and wary of their physical stuff. So, you know, um, in moving around, I need to know how much 
you know, weight they've moved in the past. I need to be really connected with their physical um, ability on that day and physical, generally general physical ability. So just being really clued into that, but at the same time, really conscious of the counseling, conscious of what they're saying and listening to them as, as we're moving around kind of thing. So it's a one-to-one -one session, um, but it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I, I love it. I really do love it because I just feel, um, I always feel really bright and happy at the end of the day, no matter what, um, even if it's been lots of kids coming through. I, I don't think there's been one day I've worked that's been well where I felt like this was really a heavy day and I'm really, really like done. I actually feel really positive at the end of the day. I love how it's just so adaptable to depending on what the client needs when they walk through that door, if it's a chat or if it's just a workout just looking at the sunset um mm. fantastic when i was doing my masters of social work my second placement for that um i did it in a private practice just a, a traditional mm. counseling practice and i often thought about what how good would it be just to be able to walk around with a client down to the beach there was a beach near us mm. um and just get out of that traditional one-to-one -one sitting on the couch mm. and actually just talk to them like we would be two friends walking along on the beach you know that so such a, a unique concept and something that I'm really interested in exploring. You mentioned not many people around um, are doing this. Maybe it could be a world first. Um, what made you think to put the two together anyway if, if nobody else is doing it? Um, you could say stupidity, which would be a <laughs> logical answer. Um, I in my, in my moments, because I must admit, I'm not a good business person. I'm, I'm a far better counsellor than a business person. And I sit there and say, man, I'll, if I'd have just started a traditional private practice, this would have been a lot easier. But um, I just thought that, and at the, at the core of Fintwell, when we come back to this, is every young person deserves a service that works for them. And that's the mantra we live by. It's the mantra that we say all the time. If you look at our social media, it's there. It's everywhere. We put that really openly out there. And my drive and passion was to say that there are services that support young people from who want to engage in that talk therapy and that's great and we are 100% supportive of them and we don't compare and we don't believe we're better than that's not what we we want to be about all we wanted to do was say let's present an alternative way of doing things just for those kids um, who may struggle in those settings so the other mantra we have is we're not the answer we're an answer mm -hmm. we've had kids walk through our doors who have worked with us and then have gone to go on to traditional talk therapies and we are 100% supportive of that um, because at the core of what we do is about saying that we believe that we want to support young people and that we can offer an alternative way of supporting them and if that's what they want to do that's great and if they try us and don't like us that's 100% fine too so really the, the core of what we do is, is um, about offering young people an alternative service and um, it was my strengths for sport. So if it was music, I would have done music. If it was art, I would have done art. If it was walking, I would have done walking. But uh, I moved into my wheelhouse because I knew that's what I was good at. But the, the real core is that idea that um, there are great therapists out there. There are great counsellors, social workers, um, psychologists. We just know that there's some kids who may not fit in that setting. And we want to just offer them a chance to try something so their mental health can improve. And that's where we come from kind of thing. And do you just work with kids in, in fit and well, or do you work with everybody? We work with anyone who asks. We, we focus on kids because that's my strength, but we would never mm -hmm. turn anyone away. 
Um, we, we work with kids just because, as I said, that's always been my strength. Um, but um, some adults have asked and, and, and we would happily work with them. Um, it would be a learning experience for everyone. So we'd bump through that together, but um, we've, we, we would work with most people who asked. And that's the thing is, as long as the service fits them, we'll find a way to work with them. And um, I've got clients who, um, a specific clients who I've actually never seen. Um, we've decided to do home-based programs. And so uh, he's been tremendously successful with his working out, um, uh, but he was never gonna join a gym. That's not what he was about. And so I said, let's just work at a distance. I'll send you home programs every, every week or every couple of weeks. And he's been smashing it, doing it so well. So, um, and that's been, again, that adaptability that I'm really proud of for him. And it's something that I'm like, oh, I don't know how I'm gonna manage this, but let's give it a crack and see where we end up kind of thing. So um, yeah, it's 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 something that's very adaptable and something that um, we definitely work to fit with the client's needs as best as possible. You talked a bit about ACT or acceptance commitment therapy or CBT as well. And how do you bring those into a session? So let's talk about breath work, for example. Breath work's a really common one. So we know the benefits of breath work, um, you know, and about calming your um, central nervous system and so doing your box breathing and stuff like that. Very powerful thing to do. So from one degree, you could teach a person sitting in a couch, sitting on a couch in a therapy room, do the box breathing four in, four out, you know, hold for four seconds, kind of thing like that. Now, a core component of learning to lift is the concept of breathe, brace and hold. So when you do a movement like a bench press or if you're doing a squat, the idea is you take a deep breath and you hold that breath for the movement and you breathe out at the top. That's exactly the same thing. You could teach breath work sitting in the couch, you could teach breath work sitting in a, like doing a, a deadlift or a squat. It's exactly the same premise, it's just working out in a different environment. So that's like, there's so many ways that things are applicable in the gym that we, that counselors do every day and the concepts they use every single day um, that we do in the gym every single day. It's just that it's not maybe recognized how much is interconnected. Um, journaling, for example, we know the powerfulness of journaling and journaling about being grateful and um, at Fit and Well, one of the things we try to promote is the idea of doing um, recording your workouts and having a workout journal. And part of that workout journal, we always say, well, tell us something you did really well today. Tell us something you're really proud of today. Tell us something that you want to work on today. And they always write that down. So it's, again, something that if you asked any elite athlete, they would journal every session they did. They would journal all the stuff they've done and all the results they've had. So they wouldn't realise that it could be a therapeutic method. And just the same thing as in therapy, um, in therapeutic settings, um, they would promote journaling as a really powerful way, breathfulness journaling as a really powerful way of improving well-being. Well, we bring those two things together kind of thing in a, in a, in a space. Um, it's also a really powerful way of looking at um, values in goal setting. So um, we get a, a client come to us, they do a lift and they'll say, okay, what's the goal that you want to get? And they might say, I want to lift, I've lift 20, I want to lift 30 kilos. Okay, how are we going to get there? We make a goal setting chart. We talk about failures. We talk about, um, because it's a general concept that in the gym, you will fail, you'll have bad days. How are you going to overcome that? So there's all these um, analogies and therapeutic techniques that are brought into the gym almost subconsciously. They just come into the space naturally. And all it is about that point is being able to flesh out and say, well, well, how can you apply what you've just learned in the gym to real life? How can you apply all the things that you've just, the goal setting, the adaptability through failure, the, um, the ability to be able to um, record um, and 
you know, journal and things like that. And how can you apply that to real life outside of the gym? So it's amazing how many little lessons and little powerful tools that you that you would take for granted in the gym. People take for granted, but it's actually therapeutic tools that we would use every day as social workers. So that's one of the powerful things about uh, fit and well and exercise-based therapies is teaching these concepts um, in a space where some kids might say, I'm not going to sit in a chair and breathe, but you give them a bar and they're like, oh yeah, I'll breathe. I'll, I'll breathe anyone you teach me um, because I'm doing something I really love doing. So cool, we're going to teach you that way. That's how we're going to show you. Um, and even just um, understanding how in a gym you'll have injuries, adaptability through injuries, overcoming obstacles and being resilient um, and um, clients rock up and they might say, oh, my knee's hurting. I can't work out. And we're like, no, 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 you can work out. We just won't, we won't do exercise using your knee. We'll do upper body workouts. So it's instead of um, saying, I can't do something, it's reframing and saying, well, what can I do? What can I do to get better? And it, it just offers so many different perspectives and so many um, teachable moments. Um, and it also just breeds confidence. I mean, I've put this on social media and I stick by this. There is nothing better for me as a coach watching a person do something that I never thought they could do. Um, so they move, do a movement they never thought they could do. They lift a weight they never thought they could. And the visual, they're just the uh, visual confidence they see, like I never thought I could do that. I never thought I could do this. It's just unbelievable. And it's something that um, gives me a huge buzz every time, huge buzz every time, because we get people who've never touched a weight before. We get people who have never been in a gym before. And we just, just watching that growth as a person start saying I can actually do things I can do things that I never thought I could and um that's one of the most powerful things as a practitioner and something I'm yeah it still gives me a huge buzz all the time seeing that I love that concept around um when the client's injured and coming through and, mm. and mm. it almost mirrors that mental health space where a client might present in a traditional therapy space and say, oh, look, I've had this issue happen and it's just derailed me for everything. Mm-hmm. In the gym, it's the same. Like you get injured and, and it can derail you. Um, you know, myself growing up had a lot of injuries. So I'd, I'd be doing really good at footy and then I'd get an injury and I'd be out for four weeks recovering. And back then, and this is like in the early 90s, I didn't have anyone around me or a system around me that can just just transfer me to start to work on something else while I'm recovering. It was pretty much, it was nothing. It was just rest. Um, so it's great that you're, you're working with them, even though they're injured in the gym, but just change, shifting focus. And it might be on some different body part or even, you know, focusing on the mind or whatever. And, and you know, yeah. and bringing those goals in, I think that's a really powerful thing because then it transfers out to, to real life once they're out and about in the community or, or whatever. They, yeah. can, they can overcome obstacles and it's not going to derail them um as yeah previously yeah and even just working in a gym is you in a gym you're used to putting the body under a certain amount of stress that's something that that is part of what you do at the gym is a, is a controlled safe amount of stress but even then the kids begin to learn to adapt to having stress in their life just that little bit of stress and and feeling okay about having stress in their life um and knowing that it will pass and knowing it will be okay and so that that small amount of stress comes back to a maybe a student, maybe a client who's struggling to get to school and you know they get to the car park and they're feeling a small amount of stress, but they they can they can um live through that saying I I can get through stress. I've been in stressful situations before. Um, and it even goes 
down to like um, doing a really hard cardio session. You know, your ankle deep in the middle of a cardio session, you're huffing and puffing and wondering how you're going to get to the end. Mm. And, you know, and that ability to say, you got this, you know, it may not be perfect, but you'll get there. You know, the timer will stop soon. You just got to keep pushing through. And as long as they're safe and, and healthy, will they push through and they get there? And again, that resilience is, oh, I, I did in midway through, I didn't think I was going to get through. And that conversation, but you did, you mm. did get through. And you got through really well. And we're really proud of you for getting through. So again, it's that teachability to be able to say, um, in the gym, you could be in a really stressful situation, um, but um, you'll get through that. And just like in life, you can be in stressful situations, but you'll get through that. Yeah. Um, so it's a relatively new concept, bringing the, the exercise-based therapy in, into play. Um, how do you go with promoting it as, a, as a, an alternative to traditional counselling? Um, I know social workers can struggle in this area because everything is dominated by psychologists, um, mm. counselling. A lot of people don't see social workers as a valid option um, for mental health support. So how do you go about promoting Fit and Well as, as a great option for youth or other people um, to work on mind and body? Um, I think the way I pitch it is I generally um, promote it as as we said, just an alternative therapy and about saying, you know, if you've tried the traditional therapies, this might be a really good option for you. Um, I've been extremely fortunate and lucky that um, we have got clients quite quickly and who are really willing to give things a go. And um, that's a credit to their families and a credit to them to say, I, I do want something different. Um, and I kind of come from that angle that we're a service that can engage young people in a way that's maybe not that traditional way and that seems to sit really well. Um, and I think also there's a lot of appeal to the idea of just getting physically active. Mm. But that's the other aspect of Fit and Well is we have a really high uptake of young people who start with us who go and join a gym on their own accord. I think we've got about a 70, 75% hit rate of our clients starting with us joining a gym and then working with us. So they'll do two sessions or one session a week in the gym and one session with us. Wow. So that, there's actually a, another aspect of it, which is just the education of being in a gym. And it's something that we do a lot of is we teach young people how to work out safely. We teach them about themselves, what weights they could use, what movements they could use. Um, we teach them about um, just little logistical things like colors of plates you know a green a green plate's generally a 10 kilo five, five kilos generally white uh you know all these things and because one of the goals we also have when we say to our young people is we want you to be able to walk out of fit and well go to a hotel gym which has you know a few limited equipment mm -hmm. and do a workout feel really good about that and just do a little workout be safe do it on your own and um, feel like you've done a good job so there's even an element of just the physicality which comes in and teaching them about um, fitness and teaching them about looking after their body, uh, respecting their body is a big big phrase we use. We don't talk about um, we don't talk about eating healthy. We talk about eating well and respecting your body um, because we also feel that um, if they walk out of there with better mental health, that's a really good thing. But if they walk out of there with a the respect for their body and understanding the importance of physical activity, whether it be walking or working out or anything, that's just as important because the statistics and the studies are really clear about the benefits of physical activity and mental health. So we've kind of got that two-pronged approach happening there, which they're also being educated about their fitness and that brings clients in too. Because um, some of our clients will say, I've always wanted to go into a gym, but I'm just not sure, I'm a bit worried. 
So you'll be really good because you can teach us about that aspect too. Yeah, that's a really good um, point there because gyms are scary places for people that aren't familiar with them. And you want to work out with the weights, but and I've been here myself. I want to go out and do the weights, do deadlifts and all that, but I'm intimidated by all the beefcakes in, in, in the gym. So I stay away and I, I sit on a treadmill and then I go home and, and I feel like, well, I didn't really get what I wanted out of that gym session. Um, and then after a while, I might stop going to the gym. Um, yeah. The fact that you're showing them like all the different, like what it all means to set up a good, a good session, to what all the different weight sizes are, what it means, what different workouts would look like is a great thing so that they can go to a gym and feel confident in that space. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that, an aspect I really enjoy too, because um, when you hear um, kids saying, oh, I went to the gym and I did this really well, or they come in and ask you questions, well, I, I wanted to do this, but um, I couldn't. So what's another way of like hitting that body part and another exercise and you're teaching and educating them? Um, and some of the clients, you know, they're, they're really into their gym, so we're educating them quite, um, quite a lot about how to manage, you know, um, their workouts really well. Uh, and some people are just about saying, you know, um, this is the thickness of a 20-kilo bar, this is the thickness of a 15-kilo bar, so if you ever hold a bar and you need to know how much it weighs, it should, should be like this. So it's really beneficial for lifelong learning, and that's something that we're very, uh, we value a lot, is that ability to be able to say, you may not be with us forever, um, but we want you to walk out of here with stuff that you can use beyond just this, um, beyond this um, room and beyond our sessions. Yeah, and and do you do just weight sessions or do you do like stretching? As I got a bit older, I'm a bit stiffer than I used to be and a bit less flexible. Um, mm. you know, for youth, it's a bit easier to 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 move around, but that value of stretching and recovery. And do you teach a bit about that as well? Yeah, huge. Recovery is really good. And that comes back to that respect and body conversation. Um, so early on with every session, we have a conversation about respecting your body and respecting your body means treating it like a good friend. Mm -hmm. um, so what we say is sometimes um, you need to ask your friend to do a favor uh, and it might put that, you know, it might be asking your friend to do something that's a bit challenging for them. Um, but you generally return that favor. And that's kind of the same frame as we put in the gym work. So when you work out, you're actually asking your body to do a favor. You're asking it to go into a bit of a stressful place. It won't, it, it doesn't necessarily like being there a lot. So you return the favor and you return the favor by stretching, uh, recovery, walking. Um, um, you know, we talk about, you know, hot, cold showers, just recovery methods, eating well. Again, we talk about eating well, not eating healthy. Um, and doing things like that because we kind of say you want to have a relationship with your body like you would with a really good friend where it's a give and take and sometimes you need to listen to your body and say well I can't go as hard today because it's asking me to slow down but also you want to be in a place where you can ask your body to do stuff and to do that it needs to be a respectful relationship so um, that's what we talk to kids a lot about and in that stretching and recovery stuff and um, just um, generally teach thinking about saying if you have a respectful relationship with your body you can do amazing things it can do really powerful things so um that's what we talk to our students our clients a lot about respectful relationships with your body i love this concept about respecting your body and i remember my misspent youth um you know that that mid-teenage years you start experiencing things like drugs and alcohol um yeah I can imagine some of those conversations might come up in the gym for you. And how would you yeah. approach that in terms of that respect for body? Well, um, 
it comes back to, you know, we talk about the gym concept in the gym setting, but also it stretches, as we said, into that real world concept, which is, you know, if you're struggling with your mental health and going out and drinking, how are you respecting your body around, um, you know, if you want to improve your mental health, is that if you're, are you having a respectful relationship with your body to do that? So, you know, probably drinking isn't going to respect your body enough to be able to get through that anxiety or get through those mental health. Um, and also, um, you know, we always talk about, you know, safety and, and all that kind of stuff as well. But it, it's mainly about talking to them about um, how your actions outside of the gym or outside of your world, whether it be worrying about anxiety and depression, how are you respecting your body enough to get it into a position to do what it needs to do to improve? And it gets them thinking a lot because we find that if instead of saying you've got to be healthy or something like that, which they generally hear about, if you put it in the phrase of how do you respect your best friend and they are very able to articulate that and then say, well, how are you respecting your body in the same way? Um, they're generally able to frame it quite well from that perspective because they know what respect is. They know what they expect from a friend. They know what they expect from um, each other. But when you frame it as you're respecting your body, they generally um, are able to look at it from another angle, which is really, really good. Yeah. What's some, some advice you could give to a young person or an adult who's thinking about exercise-based therapy or, or giving you a call, but they haven't quite dialed your number? What would you like them to hear today to make them make that phone call? Give it a go. I mean, and the reason I say this is I, I won't lie that I've had people um, call me and talk to me and say, this is where I'm at, this is where I'm at. And I thought, um, I don't know how we're going to go here. Uh, I'm like, I, I'm not sure how we're going to go here. But um, I have been really, really proud of the ability for young people to come in and say, I've never touched a weight before. I have no idea what any of these things are. I don't know what 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 this barbell is. I don't know what a dumbbell is. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. And they come in and they and they work out and they just enjoy doing it, you know. And um, we've we've had families reach out to us and say they've never touched, they've never done any physical activity. That's okay. So they they still come in and they try and. As we said, since day one, um, we're not the answer, we're an answer. And so they might come in and say, this isn't for me. That's okay. We, we would not try and, and say this is 100% going to work for every single person. But rather, if you take an interest in your mental health and physical health, and we can start that journey with you, that's what we would want. That's the main thing we want. You could walk in and say, this isn't for me, but I want to keep trying my, to get my mental health better. Awesome. Let's work from there. Um, let's find a service that will work for you. Um, but I mean, when it comes to clientele, uh, I think you could appreciate this. Um, I thought that we were going to get angry young men. That's kind yeah. of where I thought we would be. Yeah. Um, I wasn't necessarily believing that was going to necessarily be something that I was going to thrive in, but I thought that's probably where we're sitting. And that's not the case. Uh, we have probably 50 male, female. We have clients with various challenges. In fact, the minority have those anger issues. They're just wanting to get well, wanting to get fit, wanting to, to work out, wanting someone to talk to. And um, it's been pleasantly surprising, but also wonderful to experience. Um, so as such a diverse range of clientele walking through the door, 
in different places in their life, in different places in their physical and mental health journey. And we're like, let's just share that space together. And it's been really fun. Yeah, wonderful. Thinking about the next, say, five, 10 years, what's the next stage for Fit and Well? Um, we're not sure is the answer. We're, we're, we're just chugging along. Um, we're really um, focusing on developing the, the, the Fit and Well concept and exercise-based therapy concept, but we're also just really, really loving what we're doing with our, with our clients. Um, it's tremendously rewarding. Um, it's tremendously valuable and we and we love doing that it's something that one thing we do probably want to do is we want to um, train and 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 get more people involved in it because we would love it to go to Melbourne and Sydney and and have some other branches here there and everywhere because we just feel there is something there Um, we and in Adelaide we can only go so far so we would love to do that but um we always focus and this is something I say to my clients my my current focus is who's coming in on Monday. That's that's about as far as I think ahead of because I want to make sure that person who comes in on Monday has a really, really good experience and enjoys um, their time at Fitwell and, and think of, thinking about where I've got to put them and how I'm going to push them on that Monday session. So future's really unlimited, but also just really excited with what I'm doing right now and really excited with what we're doing at Fitwell. Wonderful. And how can people find Fit and Well? Yeah, so the main re- the main way people reach out to us is just through a Facebook page. We like to keep things kind of close. So we have our Facebook page and um, we also have a couple of other social media platforms like Instagram and LinkedIn. But other than that, just reach out through Facebook page. That's all, got all our details on it. Um, and even practitioners, we, we try and um, put out resources weekly or, or every now and then around how practitioners could do exercise-based therapy or fit and well stuff in their own practice. Mm-hmm. One thing we're really adamant about, is it's really good in a gym, but it's not essential. You can do exercise-based therapy um, in an office with no equipment or very limited equipment or things that you have sitting on your desk. Um, you, we, we like working out in the gym and it's really good, but we also love the opportunity to, to teach and show that it actually doesn't need to be extremely expensive and costly to do Um, Anthony, I've really enjoyed our chat today. This is an area that I'm very interested in um, exploring myself as my social work career develops. Um, I'd like to leave the last question over to you. And and is there something that you'd like to plug? Obviously, we've talked a lot about fit and well today. um, But like your socials you mentioned, um, anything else? A book you're reading, um, what you're doing with pole vaulting. Yeah, what would you love to plug? Um, One thing I would like to plug, and it's, purely i wish i got money from it but i don't um there's a book called um by ben burton called um chasing excellence um he called he coached uh, some of um uh, the best crossfitters in the world and it's one of the best books i've ever read and if anyone wants to read about how sport can actually be a therapy that is the best place to start because one, it's really well written. It's a really good story. So even if you just want to read from a story perspective, but it's also an amazing application and it solidified everything we do at Fit and Well. Um, so basically I had this loose concept coming together going, I know this can work, I know this can work, but we're through listening because I listen, I listen to um, um, most of the books because I don't have time to read. But 
for listening and reading this book, it's solidified everything that has come out about exercise-based counselling and exercise-based therapy. It solidified that the therapeutic benefits of exercise and how the things you teach in the gym can be um, applied to um, uh, mental health challenges. So I think it's an under underestimated resource. Um, and I think it's an amazing book to read because every single page you'll sit there and say, that's a social work therapy, that's um, teaching resilience, that's that. So it's an amazing book to read. So that's Chasing Excellence. Um, really strongly recommend you read if, if anyone's interested in kind of exploring how physical fitness and physical activity can actually be a mental health, a benefit mental health practically. Wonderful. And I'll, I'll grab the links, um, both Fit and Well and that book, and we'll put them in the show notes below as well. Yeah. But I um, really do appreciate your time this morning. Um, it is a Saturday morning. So have you got any clients today? Have you got the day off today? or Day off today. Um, they're beginning some Saturday clients in a few weeks' time, but day off today. Um, but we still spend, we'll still go work out and I'll spend a bit of time in the gym just working out some new methods and, and movements about how they can benefit um, you know, young people. I've seen a drill with a kettlebell. That looks interesting. So I'm going to explore um, some breathing techniques using a kettlebell. So I want to just kind of work out how that could be used over the next few weeks. So a um, little bit of work, but not too much today. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. No, no problems. Have a great day. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode, and I hope you got some value from it. If anything triggered your mental health today, please reach out to your support networks. Also, if you love what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your mates. For more from Mindful Men, you can check us out on Instagram and YouTube, and I'll throw the links to these pages in the show notes below. But until next time, stay mindful.